and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Today I want to speak about um, getting dressed to activate the dream. Because we've had all this great ministry and great revelation on, um, you know, dreaming again, saying yes to God, getting a hunger. But if we're not dressed right for it, then we could get slaughtered in the battle. See, Revelations 12, 12 says, because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. The enemy knows his time is short. We have seen an unleashing of evil like never before in the last few years. Even after COVID, we've seen things happen and we're like, what is going on? You know, uh, marriages, you know, the divorce rate. If you compare the divorce rate to to the 1900s to now, it was like less than 1%. It has drastically gone up to over uh, just under 50% worldwide of divorce. That's marriages breaking down. Um, Suicide is another thing. They say in New South Wales, I think it's New, or maybe it's Australia, nine people a day take their life. We've got mental illness. The statistics are crazy with the mental illness, and it's just rising and rising and rising. So the enemy's going after our families, going after our marriages, going after our life, and he's going after the church. Churches are going through a hard time at the moment. You in New South Wales have experienced that with churches uh, having experienced the senior pastors leaving, all this sort of stuff going on, and that's happening globally to many churches. And if we don't learn how to dress right for the battle, we will not survive. Our church won't survive. Our family won't survive. Our marriage won't survive. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul is talking about this. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we don't wrestle against our mother-in-law or our boss, or our spouse, says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's saying here that we wrestle against principalities. What is that? Well, countries have principalities that have been assigned uh, to them by the enemy. He has assigned principalities over areas in the world. Australia has one. Powers have been assigned to cities. Sydney has one. Even the Shire has a power that has been assigned to it. And wicked hosts, well, that's just your little demons that come and just like mosquitoes and try and affect us with fear and anxiety and all those negative thoughts. And sometimes what the enemy does is he gets us to look at people rather than spiritual. He gets us to focus on, I don't like them. I'm offended with them. I don't do this and that. When really it's just the powers blowing on us just a wicked host flying around us. It's a principality that's owning us. If you keep reading in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about standing firm. See, you can stand, but not firm. You can be a little wobbly. Oh, I'm standing. I'm bitten still. But he says, stand firm. Why does he say stand firm? Because when the battle happens, you got to be firm in order to keep standing. Then he says in verse uh, 14, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, 
take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the, all the flaming, not some, not all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to talk to you about the dress code this morning, because if you don't dress right for the battle, I mean, if you dressed in a black tie for a battle, you probably wouldn't survive. Unless you're James Bond, okay, we'll, he's the But the Australian army doesn't go out in black tie. Oh, they look good. They may sound good. But when the enemy comes and shoots them, they're dead. Because they haven't dressed right for the battle. So too, as Christians, we've got to dress right for the battle. And Paul tells us how to dress. He gives us a dress code for these last days. And I think when he was writing this, you know, he was in prison and he was surrounded by Roman soldiers. I believe the Holy Spirit was breathing to him and they see how they dress. And the, and the Holy Spirit was showing him how the Roman soldiers dress, how that correlated to how we should dress in the spirit. Because the Romans at, in that um, era, in that time, were one of the most powerful. They conquered the most land. They were the greatest and fiercest army the world had ever seen. And so he describing actually what a Roman soldier is wearing, but he's using spiritual language to tell us this is what we need to dress like. So in order to really understand what he is saying, we got to look at the armor of the Romans and then work out what does that mean spiritually for us. You know, even the order in which he wrote is the order that the soldier would put the armor on. So he starts with the, the belt, right? The Roman belt was, uh, I think they've got a picture there. Uh, here you go. A Roman belt. That was the first thing that a soldier put on was the Roman belt under their tun uh, over their tunic, the belt. And this belt covered uh, from the waist uh, down. So the first thing they put on is the belt. So what is he saying? The first thing as a Christian, we got to put on truth. Truth must be the first thing. It must be the foundation of our Christian walk. It's no point preaching, dreaming, doing all this stuff if we do not have truth on us. That must be the first thing that we put on is truth. And then if you notice on the belt from the waist to the knees, there's like these leather straps type things. This is protection from a very vulnerable area for a man, which is used to multiply. When you have truth on you, it will protect you and you will be fruitful. You will be able to multiply in your ministry or in your life or whatever you are doing. The belt kept the rest of the armor secure. It kept the tunic in place. It kept the breastplate tight and it held the sword secure. So if a soldier got rid of his belt, his breastplate wouldn't be secure. His tunic would trip him up and his sword would drop to the ground. So it is with truth. If we don't have truth on us as a foundation, it's no point going on and putting all this other stuff on. It is the thing that secures. It puts everything together. You know, the belt also marked the soldier as a Roman soldier. And so no one wore the, the, these kind of belts unless they were a soldier. So if you saw someone wearing it, you're like, oh, they're a soldier. It so too is truth. People should look at us and go, oh, they're people of truth. They're people that are integrity. They don't tell lies. They don't do half truths. They're like full on. They, they must be Christians because they tell truth. 
The soldier would also wear it off duty. He would never take the belt off. So too, we should never take truth off. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not just when I'm with my Christians thing. It's something that we wear all the time. And Jesus says in John 8, know the truth and the truth will set you free. How? Read. Read the Gospels. Find out what Jesus says. I said this before. Find out what he says about abortion, about premarital sex, about drugs, about addictions, about anything. Find out what he says. Know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Don't do life without the belt of truth. Or you'll be a wishy-washy Christian. You'll be up and you'll be down. You got to read the word. You got to study. You got to meditate. So it's so good to go to conferences like this because you're going deeper than your regular life. But don't just leave it up to the church to feed you truth. Don't just leave it up to YouTube to feed you truth. Get it for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Breathe on you. You know, Judas was part of Jesus' team. And he saw the dead raised to life. He saw the blind. I mean, who wouldn't want to be Judas, right? Like, I mean, be on the exchange places. Like, he was up there with Jesus. But I think along the way, he took his belt of truth off. Because he started to see things. And started to think about things. Huh. That perfume, huh? That that's prosperity doctrine right there. He could have fed so many people, but he wasted on his feet. Look at Jesus hanging out with the prostitutes. Look, and he started to see things through a belt of lies instead of the belt of truth. No wonder he was able to betray Jesus at the end. Even though he'd seen the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, he was still able to betray. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He was around when Peter had that revelation. He saw. He knew. But how did he get to that point? The belt of truth was taken off him. We got to renounce lies every day. We are swallowing lies that we don't even know are lies. If we are in school, they're teaching us lies. University lies. The media lies. Like, every lie, lie, lie. And so we can pick up all these lies all day, plus the enemy's throwing lies in our heads. we got to renounce it. I renounce the lies, and I announce that you are the way, the truth, and the life. The second thing was the breastplate. The Roman breastplate covered the most vital organ, the heart. You can't live without your heart. Oh, you can live without your appendix. You can live without your gallbladder. You can live without a leg. You can live without an eye. You can live without an ear. But if you lose your heart, you better go find someone else's heart because you cannot live without a heart. So this armor was very important because it protected the heart. And Paul was saying the breastplate of righteousness, we need to put it on because it protects our most vital organ, the heart. The breastplate, the Romans used to call it the heart guard. And righteousness really means right standing with God, right? Like righteousness. I am right standing with God. So if I'm not right standing with him, then I must have let sin come into my heart. I must have let flesh sit there for a while. And so there's a separation between me and God. So it's so important that I protect my heart, that I do not let flesh or sin remain in my heart. You know, when you let flesh sit in your heart, when you let um, sin stay in your heart and you don't repent and you don't confess and you don't get in right standing with God, do you know what happens? It's like leaving meat outside in Asia. I'll use Asia, humidity. 
and uh, leaving it out for an hour, you come back, it is full of flies because they love the smell of rotting meat. So it is with sin and flesh. If we let it sit in our hearts, the demons are like, oh, something smells good. And they start to swirl around us. Oh, there's something we can latch onto. Oh, fear. Oh, we can grab onto that. Oh, that addiction. Let's make it a stronghold so they can't break free. Oh, that negative thinking. Oh, let's get onto that. And let's make it so their head is so full of negativity that they can't break free from it. And it gets into our heart. And then we begin to struggle. And there's a separation between me, us, and God. It is so important that we every day ask Jesus to forgive us for it, cleanse us and wash us and get back into right standing with God, that there's no flesh that the enemy can have a hold on. Did you know that the armor had three metals uh, in it, a combination of three layers, soft metal, steel, and bronze? So it had three kind of levels of protection. So we should have over our heart, humility, very hard to get offended when you're humble. Love, love covers a multitude of sin. Submission, being under the right authority. If you have these kind of levels of protection over your heart, it's harder for the enemy to get in. We also need to be careful with our activities, our hobbies, our social hang times, our after work drinks, our late night Netflix, all these things that the enemy throws at us to make our breastplate of righteousness weak. He's always blowing things on us to make it weak. We got to be careful what we listen to, disunity, gossip mocking, all this stuff. And you're like, well, I didn't say anything. No, but you sat there and listened. You passively agreed. You need to protect. You need to walk away and go, this conversation is going to affect my breastplate of righteousness. Excuse me. And leave. It's not worth it because your heart is important. It's the most valuable organ you have. And without it, you will die. You know, I talked about yesterday, I think it was King David. You know, um, how he, oh, on the other night about destiny how the enemy did everything he can to rob his destiny and how he set him up. You know, King David let his breastplate of righteousness down because when he went up on that rooftop and he looked where he shouldn't have looked and he stayed looking, he didn't go to God and ask for forgiveness right there and then. And that gave the enemy a foothold in him to begin to lead and direct him into having the affair, covering it up, killing the husband, you know, and doing all these things. But when he was uh, told about it, when he was held accountable to it, first thing he did was go and put that breastplate of righteousness back on. He went and got right with the Lord. God, please forgive me. Created me a clean heart. You read the Psalms, all the journey of how he put his breastplate of righteousness back on. We got to confess. We got to repent of our sins in our heart and ask him to clean us every day. Don't go out of your house without putting your breastplate of righteousness on. The next one were the shoes. The Roman shoes were very functional and they were open and comfortable and they were ready for long trips. Some of the armies back then didn't put value on the shoes and soldiers, um, armies would lose war because the, the soldiers would get blisters on their feet or their feet would get infected, but not the Romans. The Romans had very good shoes and they could walk for hours in those shoes and never get a blister and never have sore feet. So it was comfortable. They were always ready and it was functional. So should be the gospel of peace. 
He's telling us to be ready, be fitted with the gospel of of peace. The gospel is functional. It can be done with your everyday life, not just Sundays. You can carry the gospel with you to the office, to the hospital, to the school. Everywhere you go, you should be carrying the gospel with you. On the bottom of these shoes were massive studs right? Like spiky studs that the Romans would use. It would do two things. First, it would help them go down in like um, mountains or they wouldn't slide down because they had it fitted. So it gripped them. So it kept them stable. It kept them strong. So too is the gospel of Jesus. It makes you secure. Your walk with the Lord is not shaky. And the second thing on these souls was that when the enemy would come to them, they could go like this, and the skull would get crushed from the spikes from the bottom. So it also was used as a weapon. Every time you share Jesus with someone, every time you share the gospel with someone, you're going back to the enemy's camp and you're taking back what he stole from us. You're taking his army and making it weaker. The gospel is a weapon against the enemy. That's my favorite part of it. <laughs> we got to put on, you know, we got to put on the full armor of God. We got to put these shoes on. It's not just to the church's responsibility or the pastor's responsibility to share the gospel. It's your responsibility because people won't read the Bible, but they'll read you. They won't talk to Jesus, but they'll talk to you. You are the Bible to them. You are Jesus to them. You are that light. That is why God put you in that office. That's why he put you in that hospital. That's why he put you in that area, in those workmates. He puts you there because someone there is desperately needing to know Jesus and you have the answer. And you have no idea who you are leading to Christ. There was a little boy that went and stayed at his friend's house and the father said, it was on a Saturday night, and the father in the morning said, come on, boys, we're going to go to church. This little boy was from a broken home. His family had been separated. His father was a drunk. And so they went to church. This little boy gave his heart to the Lord. Now, this little boy lived across town. And the father knew that once this boy goes back home, he's not going to go to church again. He's not going to have to be able to because there's no way his family would be able to take him to church. So this father made a commitment. Every Sunday, he would drive across town and pick this little boy up. Now, sometimes this little boy was a little boy, and he didn't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. He'd say, I am sitting in the living room till you get ready, and you're going to go to church. He did this for this boy. This boy grew up. This boy had an encounter with Jesus. It changed his life. He got filled with the Holy Spirit at 13. That boy was my father. Somebody took the time to drive across town every Sunday. In fact, this man not only picked up my father, but he picked up, he used to fill his Volkswagen, my father said, with heaps and heaps of kids. In fact, in those days, my father told me all the adults did that. They would drive all over the city and they would pile their cars up with all these kids from broken homes and bring them to church, feed them and give them the gospel. There are generations that are changing today because these people at church took the gospel. That man is still alive. He's in his 90s. He watches us every Sunday. I love him so much and so grateful that my life has changed because of what he did. 
It's not left just to the pastors. We all must be sharing the gospel. Even if you're at the hairdresser or in the beautician, I do everywhere I go. I'm trying, how can I, I'm thinking, okay, God, where do I, you know, breathe in? What do I do? How do I lead this? How can I just give them a seed? Because you might just be part of their long journey in receiving Christ. Next one is the shield. You know, the soldier had to pick up the shield and carry it to be protected. He didn't wear it. He had to pick it up. So it is with us. We got to pick up the shield of faith and we have to carry it with us. The shield was used to deflect attacks from the arrows. So too is faith. It's used to deflect the attacks of the enemy. The Roman shield was rectangle. It was like a rectangle shape and curved. And it was curved so that when the arrows came in, the way it was shaped uh, was very significant because the arrows would be deflected easily and the impact would not be so hard on the soldier when the arrows came in. It was three and a half feet tall and three feet wide. We're not talking about Captain America's shield. Sorry, babe. Captain America's little. These guys had big shields, huge big shields to protect them. The size of your faith will determine the size of your protection against the enemy. Do you have big faith or little faith? Because that will protect you from the attacks of the enemy. And what does your shield, what is your faith made of? Because I could stand here today with an impressive looking shield, but it could be made out of styrofoam. And I could go into battle and I'd be crushed. Oh, I look good. I sound good. It looks the part. But then when crisis hits, shows what my faith is really made of. Our faith has to be strong. It has to be, um, be able to protect us from any attacks of the enemy. On the shield was a knob in the middle of the, in the, middle of the shield. And it was called boss. And it was used to thrust uh, at the enemy's face or chest so they could just thrust it. When the en- enemy came to them, the soldier could thrust the boss and the boss would knock the enemy uh, in the face and crush them. So too is your faith. It's not just there to protect you, but also to thrust it. Thrust, you know, just head it at the enemy and say, no devil, my city will be saved in Jesus' name. I choose to hold on to my faith despite. When you go in a crisis, you will see how much faith you have. You know, last year, our family went through a crisis. My father-in-law received, uh, got the news that he had cancer. It was very fast. Like, he got the results on Wednesday morning. He's in the hospital Wednesday night. And uh, as a family, we all decided to lock shields and to decide. We were like, no, we are going to have faith for this. You know, we are not going to speak unbelief. We are not going to agree with, oh, he's going to die or anything. We were like, no, we got together as a family. And my father's, my father-in-law's faith really came through during this crisis. You could tell the years that he invested into the word of God and to his belief and everything came through during that moment of crisis. And I remember um, there was a family member, a family, extended family, extended, 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 said something to uh, one of my sister-in-laws and said, you know, I don't think the family's come to terms with what's going on. They really don't know the reality of it. So she called me, she's a bit upset, and I went, okay, first I know why they didn't say that to me. 
And second, like I said the other night, I'll tell you what our reality is and I'll tell you what we've come to terms with. And we have agreed that he will be healed in Jesus' name. Yes, we will do what the doctors say. Yes, we will follow the medicine that he has told us to do. But we agree that he will not die. He will live and not die. That he will not die a cursed death. And we agreed and we prayed and today he is cancer free in Jesus' name. You got to declare over yourself. You got to put the shield of faith over you to stop those arrows from coming in. Stop agreeing with that fear. Make your shield strong. The next is the helmet. The helmet protected the soldier's head, parts of his face, and his neck on the battlefield. By wearing the helmet of salvation, you are protecting your mind, the place you process things, the place you understand things, the place you think about things, and the enemy will do everything he can to sow lies and doubt in your mind, question your faith, question your salvation, question God, question your leaders, question what's going on. He will do that because he wants to affect your mind. The battlefield starts with the mind. He can't steal your salvation. But he can fill your head up with so much overthinking that you begin to question things. And you begin to question things about yourself and about your destiny. Even over the next few days, next week, he'll question things about your encounters that you had this week. Did you really have that? Or was it just hype? Do you really think you're going to do that? Is that really the dream you have? And you begin, oh, is it? Is it? And you begin to question it yourself. And you know, this can happen to anybody. Anybody can have this attack happen to them. There was a guy named Chuck or Charles Templeton. A lot of you would have never heard of him. But he was a man that in the 1940s was the up and coming evangelist. He would go all over America and thousands and thousands of people would get saved. Billy Graham was so um, in awe of him that he started traveling with him. And he was mentoring Billy Graham. He's the one who taught Billy Graham how to do stadiums, how to do altar calls, all that stuff. He was discipling Billy Graham. But this guy was going to be the guy. I mean, they thought this guy's going to go around. He's going to preach to millions. But Chuck must have somewhere taken his helmet of salvation off. Because after the war, he started questioning God. What kind of God would send the Jews to get killed where was God in all this? And he questioned it to the point where he decided, you know what? I don't think that Jesus was God. I think he was just a nice human. So Chuck called a press conference together, and he announced to the world that he was going to be an agnostic. This threw Billy Graham off. Billy Graham was like, what? Like, imagine it, your mentor, your pastor, your, you know, Pastor Brad coming up and going, I don't know about this. They would throw us off and be like, what? This guy, I followed him. I, I believed everything he said. He's taught me so much. We've seen so many salvations. And now he's saying that Jesus was just a good man. In fact, Chuck said to, to Billy Graham, you know, the Bible is not relevant for these times. It's not relevant. Billy Graham went to the forest. He didn't know what to do, and he got down on his knees, and he, had, he said, God, you need to talk to me. I don't understand what's going on. This man that I've looked up to is questioning. This man is questioning salvation. God, what, are you real? Is it true? Or is Jesus just a good man? Is the Bible not real? And he had it out with the and God had an encounter. He had an encounter with God that night. Billy Graham stood up and made a decision. You know what? 
I believe the Bible, I believe the gospel, and I'm going to live my life preaching the gospel despite. He put that helmet of salvation on. And you know, um, Chuck, on the other hand, ended up becoming an atheist and wrote a book called Farewell to God. In his 80s, a journalist went to him and uh, interviewed him and said, do you still believe the Bible is irrelevant and still believe this stuff about Jesus? And he said, yeah. He goes, Jesus is just a good man. But he did put his head down and he goes, but I really miss him. Chuck died lonely and nobody really knew him. Billy Graham, they say 2 billion people heard the gospel and I think 25 million people gave their heart to the Lord because of Billy Graham. And some of you are sitting in this auditorium because your grandfather or your great-grandfather or your father went to Melbourne and to Sydney and went to an auditorium there and got saved because of what Billy Graham did. We gotta protect our mind. We gotta keep the helmet of salvation on. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do not believe the lie that you're not a child of God. You are a child of God, that Jesus died for you. Next one is the sword. The Roman sword, it was the only piece of armor that is purely used to attack the enemy. The rest of the armor was mostly for defense, but the sword, no, that was used to take on the enemy. It was short, it was light, it was 18 to 24 inches long, and it was double-edged, so it was twice as powerful as other swords in those days. And it was easy to slash and thrust the enemy. So is the Word of God, the promises of Jesus, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, all combined together into one powerful weapon against the enemy. And no matter how big or how strong he attacks you, when you use that sword of the Spirit, right at where he is attacking, he has to bow. Not only did the Roman soldiers use the sword, but they would use the shield and the sword together. So they would take a step forward and they would thrust their shield at the enemy with the boss, knock him, and then they come around and they would use their sword to slash the enemy that way. So it was a shield and then sword. So it is with us. It is faith. And it is the sword of the spirit. They go hand in hand. You take on the enemy with your faith and with the sword of the spirit to conquer. The most impossible situation will, situations will become possible. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Because Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right? Remember I said in the beginning of Revelation 12, he's fallen from and he's having a tantrum. Jesus is saying, I saw it. But I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The Holy Spirit will guide you on how to use your sword. Sharpen it daily with prayers and declarations that are on point. You got to declare the word of God and the promises of Jesus. Prophetic words that were spoken over your life. And envision yourself using that sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is so powerful. It is so powerful. Reese Howell, I don't know if you know him, but he was an incredible intercessor that was around in the early 1900s. And in 1930s, the God woke him up at 3 a.m. and said, hey, evil's coming upon the world. Start praying now for world evangelism. He didn't know about Hitler at that time or what was happening. And so he began to pray. And did you know that every time there's been a massive crisis, a revival has gone beforehand? 
It's like God has like swept through and saved a whole bunch of people before evil has come. So he began to pray. He was in England as a principal of a Bible college of Wales. And that's when the Germans attacked Britain. And the Air Force, the German Air Force was strong and it was big. And the British Air Force was very small. And they didn't have the weapons that the Germans had. Reese Howell would get his Bible college students together. And they would, um, every night from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., every night for the whole duration of the war, would get into their auditorium, to their chapel, and they would pray. And they would use the sword of the Spirit. They didn't have weapons of guns or nuclear weapons, but they had the sword of the Spirit. And they would pray protection over England. Did you know that the Germans were so big, they were four times bigger than the British Air Force? And for every uh, four German jets, there was one British plane. If you look at the, the, the logic, the Germans should have slaughtered Great Britain. They should have just come in and slaughtered it. But the Germans missed, missed things. They missed things when they would throw bombs. And they, there are stories of German pilots saying that they saw hundreds of, of airplanes coming at them. But that wasn't true because there weren't hundreds of airplanes there. In fact, they can correlate some of Reese Howell's prayers to victories that the British won in World War II. Here's the thing. He used the sword of the Spirit to attack an army that was greater and was bigger in the natural, but that did not make him, and I'm sure there were other people in Britain praying as well, but as the people decided to pray and say, no, you will not take our land. You are forbidden in Jesus' name. They saw victory. Did you know that Reese Howell um, refused to go down to the bunker when the, the alarm would go off? So they had those raid alarms that everyone would have to go down to the bunkers and hide. He said, no, Holy Spirit told me we will never be bombed. So they never put on their gas masks. They never went down to their bunker and they were never bombed. That is the power of using the sword of the Spirit. See, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know, there's reasons also for the success for the Romans. One of the strategies of the Roman army to help them conquer land was they did this uh, formation, a united formation called the Roman shield lock. If you can see there, they all would lock together, shields in the front, shields in the back, shields in the back, behind. And then they would march like this. And the enemy was trying hard to throw arrows and fire and could not penetrate because they were locked together. Unity is what will bring revival. When we lock our faith together, when we lock together and come together, that's why it's so important to come to conference. That's why it's so important to gather. That's why the enemy did everything in COVID to keep us isolated. Because he's like, I can't have the Christians doing this. I got to keep them spread out. I got to keep them in fear that they'll get sick. Because he knows when we come together and we lock shields together. In your marriage, you gotta lock together. In your family, lock together. In your church, you gotta lock together. He cannot, that is the key to winning. We gotta stick together. We gotta stick together globally as a church. Our church, the bride of Christ is bleeding at the moment. We gotta stick together and stand up for the bride of Christ. Not attack each other, not attack the churches. We gotta lock 
together so he cannot penetrate. There is power when everybody locks together the church shield lock it's formed in your connects or your small groups in your gatherings in your youth in your sundays in your kids church harder for the enemy to penetrate when we lock together we have a pastor in new zealand and he is a pastor of our prayer and uh he's actually the father of our campus pastor there and we were coming up to miracle offering that's you know once a year i think you guys do that you give over and above for for missions and so he was we were coming up to that week and it was on a tuesday we were prepping for this huge global miracle offering service when we got a text message from our campus pastor saying dad's had an accident and what had happened was he'd had a heart attack and he had suddenly stopped um breathing and his heart stopped four times when we got that text message, we have this thing called Global Kitchen. That's our global staff from all over. We all um, go on this WhatsApp chat. Every one of us stopped, and we began to lock shields with our faith. I was helping setting up LED screens with a production company. We all stopped and began to pray. We were yelling, you will not, you will not die. Um, Mark was at an airport with a team. He stopped in the middle of the airport and they began to pray. All our offices stopped. They began to go into the office, into the auditorium. We all began to pray. We all agreed together he will live and not die. Um, Pastor Andrew's heart stopped for 40 minutes. And they told the son, this is it, this, he's not going to come back. And I said, come on, Sheldon. I said, you cancel that spirit of death, that premature spirit of death. So Sheldon prayed it. And as soon as he said the word amen over the prayer, ba-bum, 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 his heart started to come back. And so then the doctors were like, wow, you know, his heart's back, but he'll have no brain, you know. And they said all those things that they say. I love doctors, but, you know, anyway. It really should, we're like, no, we are going to agree. I said, this is miracle offering and devil, we forbid you to steal this miracle. So what you don't know is that Pastor Andrew was all on our brochures and our video for miracle offering. He was the symbol of that generation. And the enemy was trying to say, I'm going to take your miracle <laughs> and I'm going to take the symbol that you took and I'm going to let the whole world know. We were like, no, you are not. And we prayed day after day and day after day. He got better. He got better. His brain function started to work. He began to be able to talk. He began to eat. In fact, when he came to, he ripped everything off. And on Sunday, I think he came to church last Sunday for the first time. There's power when you lock shields. There's another thing that's really important. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Is that something about the Romans that really got me was that when a Roman soldier retired, he would pass on his armor to the next generation in the family that was going to be a soldier. So if your son, he would, so often soldiers would have grandfathers, shields, swords, because they were made so strong it would be passed down through the generation. If there was... Somebody that wanted to be a soldier and didn't have anybody in their family that was a soldier, a retired soldier, he would look for retired soldiers and offer money to buy their armor because he didn't have anyone in his family. See, putting on the full armor of God is not just about you and your life. It's also about the next generation. What are we passing on to the, what faith are we passing on to the next generation? What sword of the spirit are we passing on? What shoes 
when we're passing on. What helmet of Because everything we do now affects the next generation. How much faith am I giving my sons, our sons, that we want our sons to go bigger and further than what we ever will ever do. But it starts with me building our faith, us building our faith together to pass it on to the next generation. There's a guy named Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash is hardly known, but he was connected to Charles Finney. Charles Finney was an amazing revivalist. He's the one who went into Rochester, New York, and he did crusades, and 100,000 people got saved uh, in six months. 100,000. It turned the whole city upside down. Crime went down. Marriages were together. It's, it's an incredible story. But what most people don't know is that Daniel Nash was Charles Finney's intercessor, and he would go into cities before Charles Finney, and he would intercede and pray, bind the principalities, take on the powers, bind up those wicked hosts before Charles Finney and the team turned up. And one day they tell a story of how Charles, uh, Daniel Nash couldn't find lodging. And so they, um, he found this old lady and she said, I've got a damp basement and uh, that's all I have. And he said, I'll take it. And he went down to that basement and he was there for like five to seven days and they didn't see him. And Charles Finney turns up and says, is Daniel Nash here? She goes, I think he's dead. He dead. He ain't coming out. Seven days. We ain't seen him. Charles Finney goes, he's not dead. And he walks down to the basement. And there's Daniel Nash prostrate on the floor, crying out for that city, groaning and interceding for salvations, for revival. He was doing battle. The sad thing about this story is that Daniel Nash died in 1831 after the Rochester revival. And Charles Finney lost his confidence with revivals and didn't really have the same um, success that he had before. And he puts it down. He goes, I can't do it without my Daniel Nash. My question is, where was the next generation of Daniel Nash's? Why was there only one Daniel Nash? We don't want one Daniel Nash. We want an army of Daniel Nashes. Intercession is not just for the old ladies. It's not an old ladies' women's ministry. It is for the children. It is for the youth. And it is for us. It is the army of God. And we got to rise up. And we got to dress right for battle. And intercede for our families, for our children, for this city, for this nation, and for the nations of the world. Oh, it's just the church, the church got this revelation that we would just dress right. See, what happens is, is we don't dress right and we take on the enemy, right? We go on and we start cursing this and binding this and we don't have any armor on. And then we get backlash and we get attacked by the enemy and we get all this and we wonder why. God is way more powerful than the enemy. We just didn't dress right. Every day, we got to put on the full armor of God. You got to raise up that sword of the Spirit, that shield of faith, your armor, your breastplate, your truth. Don't do battle. Don't cry out for your city until you're dressed right. Oh, then when you're dressed right, oh, they'll fall. It'll come. Revival will come. So I'm super um, practical, right? And... Uh, I don't know if I have this here. Yeah, I'm very, very practical on things like this. And I was like, God, 
okay, we got to dress right. How, how are we going to do this? Because I, I don't like it to be vague. I like it to be practical. So 2 a.m. one morning, I, I asked the Lord, can you help me dress right every day? And so he helped me, the Holy Spirit helped me write this prayer based on Ephesians 6. It's called the Victory Dress Code. And so I, I wrote it and I thought, you know what? I'm going to declare this over my life every day. And then I went in the morning to my boys and I said, hey, I've got this dress code thing. And Zeke and Caleb said, okay, we'll put music to it. And we recorded it in our, in our little house. We have a little studio there. And so we recorded this prayer and we just put it on uh, Spotify and YouTube. And um, we've been getting all these like messages from, from people like families who are struggling to get their kids to school. And they've been playing the dress code on the way to school. And now there's no fear uh, with the kids are just jumping out and going to school. And there's been like marriages that are like been put, like they said they were fighting all the time and they've been praying the dress code. So I, I wrote one and it's completely free. And uh, it's just um, on, I think there's a QR code I think they have up there and I'm gonna pray it over you now. And you can just download this for free from markandjemima.com and uh, you can put it, we have this on our shower. I hear my husband yelling it in the other room. I put it in my dresser. So while I'm putting on my shoes, I'm putting on the gospel of peace. While I'm putting on my hat, I'm putting on the salvation, you know, practical, spiritual and natural at the same time. But you can get that if you want, or you can just come up with your own prayer, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What's important is that you get dressed. And I've noticed, this is a bizarre thing, that since I've been doing this every day, and then I go into a spiritual war, then I intercede, then I pray for things. So I get dressed right, then I go for what I do. I've been seeing breakthroughs and miracles. It's not a fight as much as what it used to be. I'm like, if only I had known this before, I just got to get dressed right for battle. And then all I got to do is slash and this is happening. And this has been amazing. We've been doing this with our young people. Our teenagers are getting up early and praying and they're seeing salvations at you. We haven't changed the program. We haven't done anything different. All we've done is pray and get dressed right for battle. So let me pray this over you. And I just want to pray and you can Pray it with me or you can just raise your hands and receive it um, today. But I think that as we get dressed right, whatever Noah is going to bring, it'll just set us up for whatever is going to happen. Noah and Mark, as they bring the word, you'll already be dressed right and you'll be able to do what God has called you to do. So. As I get ready for today, I will be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I will put on the full armor of God so that I can take a stand against the enemy's schemes. Today will be a good day. I renounce any lies I believed and declare that they must all fall to the ground. I announce that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and now I put on the belt of truth. I confess and repent of any known and unknown sins hidden in my heart and ask you, Lord, to make me clean. Holy Spirit, please reveal to me if I have let my guard down and weakened your armor over my heart. I put on the breastplate of righteousness and declare that I am now in right standing with my God. I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace and declare that I stand on the solid rock of my salvation. Lord, would you bring someone across my path that I may share the good news with and in every place I walk, may I carry your unshakable peace. I take with me the shield of faith to declare all arrows of the enemy disintegrated and ask you, Lord, to grow my capacity for more faith. Make my shield as strong as it can be 
and may unbelief be far from me. I submerge my mind in the mind of Christ and I put on the helmet of salvation. Should there be any doubt, remove it now, Lord. And I thank you that I am saved through grace because of what you did on the cross, not by my work, so I cannot boast. Finally, I pick up the sword of the Spirit with the power of the Holy Spirit to slash and destroy any assault of the enemy against me or my loved ones or this church. I declare I am the head and not the tail. Holy Spirit, make my sword sharper, stronger, and more accurate against the enemy that we wrestle. Be the loudest voice in my ear today, Holy Spirit, as I continue to fulfill my life's purpose and destiny. I am now dressed for victory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen and amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.